0: You are listening to Raíces Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of Black, Indigenous, people of color in connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we are recording, I'm recording on Duwamish territory, part of the Coast Salish people, in what is now called um, the Seattle area or Washington state. Um... So yeah, it's been a minute. The last time I put out an episode was around November, shortly before I left for traveling for the holidays. So it's been a couple months, you know. The new year has started. Um, it's twenty twenty, and I have all sorts of ideas and just manifestations for the podcast for the next for this coming year and for the next season. So I'm really excited to be back um putting out some content um yeah before i get started i'm kind of talking about what season two will look like just if you know you haven't really been keeping up with what i've been up to um shortly after what we call thanksgiving or um you know this colonial holiday i left for uh colonial country of mexico and um i was really excited There's a lot of family stuff that was going on and that resurfaced during this time, so it also made my trip a little bit draining at times, but I don't really want to focus on that. I just want to focus on the medicine that I did receive while I was there. So um, when when I first began my travels to Mexico, I arrived to Oaxaca at the end of November, and... I was so excited to be back in Oaxaca. I was there in 2017 during the summer for a study abroad program and it was honestly one of the most life-changing times, summers of my life. It made me grow a lot, it made me think a lot about my own identity as Chicana, as um, indigenous, mestiza, all these things. And I'm really thankful that that happened at the point that it did in my life, and so I was really happy to be back in a more um, kind of relaxing sort of. Um, well, I was still going like it was like I said there was some family stuff going on, but for the most part, I was going in a very relaxed and just excited to be there again. Um, just you know, shout out to Simon and Eugenia who hosted me at their house and really. Were medicine along with their baby Luz while I was there, that really, that really was the point honestly of my trip to begin with. I thought for a while, I was going there um, to like, kind of be a tourist and just see the things that I missed about Oaxaca, but I hadn't realized how much I had changed in almost three years until I got there because <laughs> in two thousand seventeen when I was there. I was really into like partying and just like going out all the time and seeing a bunch of touristy things and you know sometimes I still like doing those things but I think in terms of Oaxaca I wanted to really just hang out with the people that I love and care about there and so that's why the majority of my time was just spent with Simon and Eugenia and hugging little baby Luz because she's so much medicine. So I just really soaked all of that up. I also got to visit um, during one of the weekends I was there, the community of Yaviche, which is in El Rincón, in la Sierra Norte, also Zapoteco territory. Um, And it was really great. That was also a very impactful place to my growth and my knowledge about alternative forms of education, about indigenous solidarity, about centering indigenous knowledge and environmental knowledge so i was really lucky i was really happy to be back for that weekend and just again hang out really taking the medicine of the sierra the food the people there so yeah thank you again you know the people over at yaviche oswaldo um and his family that really you know took us in and so Shitsa, the university that's there, that has always been very um, welcoming to me. Also, I'm a little under the weather, so in case that comes across the audio, now you know. It's been, you know, hard to readjust to the rainy days in the PNW. But anyway, so yeah, after Oaxaca, I made my way up north towards Purépecha territory or Michoacán, which is where my family is from. Um, I'll probably get in... a into that a little bit more later but um I you know same like I was saying earlier there was a lot of family stuff going on but at the end of the day there was also a lot of medicine that came from being in Michoacan. that always comes as always I love being home and eating well and just enjoying the sun and all those natural things but also the people that are there um it was great spending time with my grandma with um My two little cousins, if you follow like my personal social media, you probably saw me post a bunch with them. They're really fun and really exciting to be around. And their dad as well, my uncle Ruben, I really love him and spending time with him. Also, I got to see some friends, so people outside of my immediate family. And they're all friends, you know, that I've met up here in Washington. So it was really cool to hang out together in Michoacan, especially because these friends are also from Michoacan. So just, you know, shout out to Hugo Sanchez and Miguel Sanchez and the rest of the Sanchez Primos for hanging out and having a good time in Morelia. And then inviting me to their community, El Colegio, and it was really cool to see it. I'd heard about it so much, so I really enjoyed, you know, spending some time there and getting to know their homelands. Um, Also, shout out to Anesat. We went on a little cute trip to San Miguel de Allende, where, again, I also found a lot of healing and peace. We just had some really great conversations, ate some bomb food. Girl, if you're listening, I'm still thinking about those mushrooms and octopus that we ate at that one restaurant. It was so good. So it's really great having just, you know, that awesome company and just having a great time with her. So I highly recommend San Miguel de Allende very touristy town there's a lot of white people but it was still really fun like it was really beautiful very artsy and i was hoping to run into sandra cisneros around there because she lives there apparently but i didn't but it was still cool you know so really happy um yeah when this comes out i will be getting ready to be part of this event that i'm going um, February 1st to the 2nd, which is the Purepecha New Year, Curicuaeri Cuinchicua, the celebration of um, the new year. And so I'm really excited. There's going to be all sorts of dances, ceremonies that I will get to be part of. Um, Yeah, I guess this would be a good spot to get into that. But as I mentioned, my family and just as far back as I know and generations have always been in what is now called the state of Michoacán or Purepecha Territory. Um, It's been very fundamental in my journey to understand both my identity and my connection to the environment or mis raíces verdes to really unpack what it means to have this indigenous ancestry. Um, I don't want to sit here and pretend like mestizaje isn't real, like it's not part of my identity. And if you're not familiar with the term mestizaje or mestizo mestiza, this is a colonial term that was introduced by the Spanish when they came to Latin America um, because they had what is called a caste system. You might have seen pictures of it in the history books. Or if you've taken like a Latin American history class where they literally just made like this flow chart of all the different race, different mixes that could happen between like Spaniards and indigenous people, Spaniards and black people. And then, you know, maybe Spaniards with half black, half indigenous people like they had a a word, a category for every single sort of mix that they thought was happening or that they saw was happening in their colonial state, um, aka Mexico, you know, all these other countries in Latin America. And so mestizo was one of those categories in the caste system or is one of those categories in the caste system. And mestizo, um, you know, means indigenous and Spanish or indigenous and European. And I think... This could be a way longer conversation. I just don't really feel like getting into it right now. But basically, mestizaje is just another way of saying, you know, like colonial rape, saying, you know, colonial violence, trauma on the women, especially our indigenous um, grandmothers. And so it's really problematic how Mexico as a colonial state has romanticized this idea of mestizaje, right? And... All of this knowledge that I'm spitting isn't necessarily just stuff that I've come up with theorized on my own. This comes from indigenous mujeres, particularly, who have um, talked about these things, right? And coined it in this way that mestizaje is just romanticizing this idea that you are indigenous, you are, you know, native and have this like medicine inside of you. But you also get the best part about being European, right? Like maybe lighter skin. Um, quote-unquote prettier hair, you know, lighter eyes, like, like a lighter, lighter eye color, you know, like maybe better nose, I don't know, all these dumb things, right, that we associate to European beauty. And so mestizaje, there's a lot of people who carry that with pride, but it's really problematic in that way because it's appropriating indigenous culture by the colonial state of Mexico or any other, you know, Latin American country that is a colonial state sitting on indigenous land. And so me being from, me having two immigrant parents from Michoacan, which is Purepecha territory, and I've started tracing back with family members like my grandma, you know, how far back we go into these lands. Like we've been there since like, everyone can remember, right? Like as far back as my great-great-grandmother Like, we've been in Michoacán in this, like, very specific area, this Purepecha territory and what is now, like, sometimes people refer to as Tierra Caliente in Michoacán. And so it's hard for me to, or, no, let me go back. And so for me, I've been thinking a lot about what it means to claim and rediscover my Purepecha ancestry while understanding that I hold certain privileges and identities by being born in the U.S., one. Two, by knowing that there is Spanish blood mixed in there somewhere, right? And so how do I hold space for all these identities but also not let myself be a colonial project any longer? You know, as um, a friend of mine, Cindy, puts it, you know, I'm an unfinished colonial project and that's true, we all are in some ways. And so what does it mean for me to stop and put an end to that and really reclaim that indigeneity? And of course, in an appropriate and responsible manner to the fact that I don't experience the daily harassment and unsafety and violence that my Purépecha sisters do living in what is now called Mitrakan, right? So it's really complex. um, And this will come up a lot in season two and moving forward in the podcast. But I just kind of wanted to put that out there as I talk about that I will be going to the Purépecha New Year celebration this weekend and that I was just in Michoacán and was really, you know, thinking about these things. So yeah, what's happening with season two, you know, let's get into it. So for season two, I had, well, in general, moving forward, I think I want to build the seasons based on series. I really like how the, the last three episodes of season one, this is not including the two bonus episodes, the one about um, Thanksgiving day with Chris and the one about um, black joy or like black representation in media with Craig. Those are like bonus episodes. But if y'all remember the last three episodes in the season one, technically were the ones with Daniela, Mia and Liana about health and somewhat connected to the environment so Mia talked about health in hospitals. Danny talked about health and immigration. And Liana talked about health in rural environments. And so those three were a series around health in the environment. And so I really liked because that seemed to flow better and kind of keep sort of a consistency throughout a theme. And so I think, and so for season two and moving forward, I think what I want to do more is build these sort of thematic series that can hold a couple episodes together and kind of, continue a conversation for a longer period of time right i also want to focus a lot more on this aspect of healing um i think really at the end of the day all the work that i do regardless if it's if it's academic if it's just you know in community organizing i always wanted to center healing and how this work is healing and so i want Verdes to come back to its sort of tagline right about healing our relationship to the earth. So that's why I believe season two will have a much stronger, much intentional um, focus on identity in the environment. And to start that out, dun, 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 season two will be about the Chicanx identity. Um, I will get more into why that is, but here it is. You're hearing it for the first time. Season two will officially be beyond chicanismo, indigeneity, and in the environment. So, the reason why I wanted to focus on the chicanx identity is, well, one, I have a lot of folks around me that have either identified as chicanx or still identify as chicanx, but have also been searching or through the journey of connecting through their, um, connecting to their indigenous ancestry. And so what that means is that this Chicanx identity is really, you know, becoming more complex as I think about this indigenous ancestry, similar to what I was just talking about with my Purépecha ancestry. And so um, I just think it's really important that as we talk about indigeneity within the environment, because that comes up a lot, talking about whether it's like land rights or about indigenous knowledge in the environment or about water rights, you know, pretty much anything that you right now Google and read about environmental justice, it comes back one way or another to indigenous knowledge, right? And indigenous ownership of land and resources. And so I think, I believe that as um, as Chicanos, Chicanas, Chicanex people, we really do wanna, I can see that we want to build solidarity with indigenous people in this way and be part of this walk th- towards environmental justice. But I think we also need to be really honest and critical with each other about how Chicanismo or like the Chicanx movement has perpetuated anti-indigeneity or has erased indigenous people throughout history um, in order to actually build solidarity, right? Like we have to work through those things and move past them in order to build solidarity. And some of those things that I just said might be controversial to some people. The fact that I just said the the Chican- Chicanx movement hasn't always um, supported Indigenous people or has erased Indigenous ancestors. And I will get back to that because I know that's maybe a strong claim for some of you all right now. But trust me, I have my reasons and I have arguments for that. But that is kind of what sparked, right, my interest for season two was to really think about those these two things together, right? Indigenous knowledge about the environment or indigeneity or indigenous movements around the environment and the Chicanx identity and the Chicano movement, right? And how these two things are definitely connected, but also we have to be critical of the Chicano movement, Chicanx movement to move forward with indigenous solidarity. And another reason why we have to be critical of the Chicanx movement or why I think this is a good point, the good time and uh, space to like drop this sort of season is because if you've been reading... Or been if you're part of some sort of Chicanx organization or part of a Mecha, been part of a Mecha chapter, um, El Movimiento Estudiantil Chicanx de Aslan, which I can explain more in a bit, um, you've probably heard that there's been a lot of conversations about um, just what's going to come up for our, our movement, what's going to come up with our identity in terms of like the organization and... Sort of the things that we affiliate ourselves with, and even some of the names, right? There's been a lot of questioning about um, Aslan and these different elements of the organization and of the movement and the history of the movement. And so, I just think this is a critical time. It's a it's a really really important time to start asking these questions and to really, you know, call ourselves in, not necessarily call ourselves out as Chicanos, Chicanas. Um, to just really, again, build better solidarity and move forward and really go up against, like, the real enemy, which I believe in this case, you know, is fascism, patriarchy, colonialism, capitalism. But we can't do that, right, if we don't all move as, like, one um, more integrated movement. And so, so, yeah, I will definitely, throughout Instagram, be dropping a lot more knowledge and probably will post links and resources on the website as well about the chicano chicanx history so that way if you're not really familiar with with what that means um you can have some resources to maybe like look at before you listen to any of the episodes or maybe after you know just to kind of understand better some terms maybe that get dropped and then also um definitely link some of the mecha um Mecha, which is an organization out of the Chicano movement, some of their resources and statements that they've been putting out within the last year or two about these changes in the movement, right? So I will definitely be doing that and in the show notes. But moving but I also want to add that some of that history here in the podcast, right? So the Chicano movement, as it is formerly known, now we do we use Chicanex like an X instead of the O, to include um, other genders, not just have it be, you know, um, male with the Chicano or female with the Chicana, but, you know, include non-binary folks as well and other um, queer people and non-conforming people in the movement. So the Chicano movement rose around the 60s, 70s, when a lot of other... Uh, movements were happening right so alongside the civil rights movement alongside a lot of the indigenous movements that were coming up um, I guess another wave of feminism was coming up during that time too so the Chicanx movement really has its roots in California what is called California but there are indigenous people to this land so what is now known as California and throughout different college campuses right this began as a student movement primarily as a youth movement um it centered around a lot of different themes one of them being education um you know asking for more for different rights for primarily at that time mexican mexican americans um were the ones who were identifying as chicanos chicanx and asking for these educational rights but there were also Central Americans, black people, um, black Latinx folks, black Mexicans, you know, involved within this movement since the beginning that were advocating for similar rights and identified, you know, with this Chicanx movement. Um, there was also a big theme around farm justice. If you've heard of Cesar Chavez in that movement Um, the chicanx movement um, the original mechas you know chapters were very much involved with a lot of strikes that had to do with that as well so there was definitely a big element of education farm worker immigration rights you know um, there's a lot of history I'm sure that I'm jumping through and it's not because I don't necessarily know it or don't think it's important but it's more because um, this whole episode right now this intro thing is not Uh, solely about the Chicanx movement or the history of it. That's, like I said, I'll be posting some of that information on the Instagram, but you can also look some of that up and get a summary of maybe important people that were involved in the movement, exactly where it started. Um, Read the papeles, which is like, I guess, you could say the OG constitution of Mecha or El Movimiento Estudiantil Chicanx, Chicano de Aslan, so that you can get more context of how that, Um, student organizations started um but yeah that's kind of in a nutshell where the chicanx movement started some other things that i think are important to note is that when you read for example the papeles like the og ones because we've also done revisions to them um you will see a lot of very male-centered language talking about like chicano brothers or chicano chicana sisters eventually you know like the Chicano this, the Chicano that, and so it's a lot of male-dominated energy. So just, you know, another critique on that. And then in terms of MECHA, which is a student organization that, you know, spread it across campuses to, again, demand for these rights um, for Chicanos or uh, Mexican-Americans primarily. um, They The MECHA... Started in California, but then as chapters moved throughout the country or what is called U.S., um, they started eventually separated in regions. I do not know the year that they started breaking out into regions, but basically now Mecha is a national organization and every year we have like a national conference. I was part of a Mecha chapter up at Western Washington University and we divide into regions like the PNW, like California I think is divided into two regions You got folks that form a region within, like, New Mexico, Arizona. I think it's, like, central something. You got people up in, like, Wisconsin and that area that's, like, their own region. I think we've got a couple east side schools, like, in terms of, like, um, more, like, New York and, like, that area, I think. We have folks in the Oregon and, like, yeah, I think Oregon and, like, North California are are a category, like, a own, uh, what's it called, region. So we've broken up in regions, and we meet up usually once a month within a region. All the regions meet together. All the regions meet once a month in their respective regions, and then once a year we meet as a nation, quote unquote, right? Um, and these conferences are filled with workshops. We have caucus spaces. We have what's called a resolution circle where we discuss matters. We and that's you know where we voted, for example, to change the name, where we added the X instead of the O in Chicano and stuff like that. And then um, there was something really important. Oh, yeah. And so then a big part of this whole Chicanx identity is this idea of Aslan, right? You will hear this a lot. I'm sure if you Google the Chicano movement, Chicanx identity, Aslan, A-Z-T-L-A-N will come up. And Aslan is really interesting and complicated, right? So it, is basically this, I just feel like whatever I say, someone will come for me and say that I didn't explain it right. But basically, it's this sort of claim that there are certain parts of what is now called U.S. that belong to Chicanos, Chicanas, Chicanx people, and to their indigenous ancestors. Because as Chicanx people, we are connected or our connection to our indigenous roots can be traced through Aztec people primarily or Mechica. That's why also, you know, you hear mecha and then all these ch- sounds, right? It's like these were Mechica people. And the this Aslan territory is supposedly what is kind of like was Mexico before um the Treaty of Guadalupe and all that. And so it's places like California, New Mexico, Arizona, and like that southern, you know, Texas and stuff, that southern area. And so kind of what I've understood throughout the years is that folks within the Chicano movement have believed that one day that land will be, I guess, Mexico again or will be for Chicanos again and the borders won't be there. And so, like, yeah, I'm down for no borders within that. But here's the t- thing. The reason why I'm so glad that upperclassmen, you know, and the other folks, mentors and stuff, have made me question Aslan is that, first of all, all that, all those states that I just mentioned, New Mexico, California, and all that, that is supposed to be Aslan, that already had indigenous people before, right? Like, there's, there was Navajo people there. or There are Navajo people there. um. Oh, what's the name in California? I think it's tongue. It's chosen with a T. I'm so sorry. I can't remember right now the name of the indigenous group that is in what is now LA. But basically what I'm saying is that there was indigenous tribes, indigenous communities all throughout these states, all throughout what is called quote-unquote Aslan that are not being represented or talked about at all within this idea, this mythology, that this is Aslan, right? And that this one day will go back to like the Chicanx people or, or whatever. Two, there's this focus, right, primarily on Aztec culture, Aztec mythology, um, as well as Mechica mythology, and sometimes even Mayan as well, right? And here's the thing. I have always said, I am sure and I know that there are people within our movement that identified as such, right? There are definitely people that have Aztec ancestry, um, Mayan ancestry, Mechica ancestry, But not all of us do. Like I was saying for myself personally, I know that my indigenous ancestry is Purépecha. And so when you are part of this Chicano movement, or or as it has been historically, it has pushed this narrative, narrative, right? For all of us to kind of take on some of these cosmic visions, you know, some of this... um, knowledge from these Aztec and indigenous these Aztec and Mexica people right which in a way is problematic because that it doesn't belong to all of us and that isn't part of all of our history right and so then you'll have folks talking about you know Aztec people on what is like Navajo land for example so that all gets really messy right and then on top of that for example the region that I was part of like I was all I all up here and up in the north right like our region, the PNW, like Mecha region, was called Alto Pacifico de Aslan, like basically the Pacific Northwest of Aslan, which like makes no sense because oh, how did Aslan get all the way up here, right? Like this is Co Salish, folk, this is Coast Salish people's land. This is like Lemifolk. folk. This is like, you know, Duwamish, like all these different tribes, right? Yet we're still kind of claiming that this is like Aslan in some way, by putting that in the name. And so a couple years, when I was a freshman in college, so like almost five years now, um, we removed that from the name. So we were just the Alto Pacífico region, right, of Mecha or of the Chicanx movement. And so things like that, right, that have been historically part of the Chicanx movement that has been pushed back by primarily Central American folks, by um, black people within the movement, by indigenous people, of course, within the movement, by mujeres, by queer folks. And... In terms of the Central American and other Latinx folks that have also pushed within the movement, it has also pushed back against this idea of Mexico centrism, right? And this idea that, like, all of Latinx culture, all of indigenous culture within the movement always has to connect to what is now Mexico and has to be about Mexican culture when it's like, nah, like, Latin America is more than Mexico and Mexico is also a colonial state and also perpetuates violence against Central Americans, indigenous people in Central and South America, right? And so these are all nuances, nuances that exist within the Chicanx movement, within the Chicanx identity. And like I said, I could go on and on about it and um, keep going through a history timeline. But that's not really what this episode is for. This is more to introduce what I'm going to go through within the series. And then you will hear my different guests and my own thoughts more about Chicanismo and how it connects to indigeneity and the environment as you listen to the next three episodes that are going to come up so this is again just an introduction um me personally i still identify as chicana i identify as chicana because a lot of the political aspect of it in terms of having this duality of being neither yeah, neither, neither from here nor, neither from there right i've lived this very transnational childhood this very transnational upbringing between Michoacán between um, Washington or other parts of the West Coast. And so I've had this duality of never fitting in quite yet in both, right? And so that has really been embodied for me through the Chicanx identity. And then also, like Mecha or the Ch- or Chicanismo really was a stepping stone for me to radicalize myself, right? It has brought a lot of friends, a lot of mentors, including Simone and Eugenia, who I mentioned I was staying with in Oaxaca to be the person that I am today, you know? So I do owe it a lot to the movement. I do have a lot of respect. But just as our beautiful Angela Davis always says, you can be critical of the things you love, right? And so I'm critical of the Chicanx movement because I love it and because I want it to move forward differently. And in terms of connecting more of this identity or just any identity to the environment, I've been thinking about this a lot because... I don't think we realize how much our racial, ethnic identities have to do with the environment we grew up, right? So like I just mentioned, my transnational upbringing of always going back and forth between Michoacan and the West Coast, different parts of the West Coast, I've lived in Oregon, California, and now Washington, has definitely shaped how I identify as Chicanx, how I perceive myself as quote-unquote Mexican, which is also a colonial identity and "quote unquote indigenous", right? And so I really want to start exploring more of those things and how our raíces verdes or our green roots are really tied to our identity because they influenced one another, right? Like my environment influenced my identity and my identity is going to influence how I interact with the natural environment. So these are all themes that I hope we really get to explore in season 2 and beyond. And I hope you're really excited. I know I just you know, went in for a minute about the Chicanx identity. But I know that there's a lot of folks who follow the podcast that are either from Latin America or identify as Chicanx that I'm sure will really, you know, resonate with this. And I also know that there's other folks who follow that will just learn a lot from these next three episodes in this series. And a lot of indigenous folks that follow from all over the world, right? They will identify with some of these conversations as well. So really excited for season two, really excited for this new series. I hope you all are excited as well. And, you know, again, thank you for the support. I will keep you all updated as we move forward. And I'm so glad to be back. So, you know, just keep up on our Instagram at Nuestras Raices Verdes. I will be posting a lot of resources on the website, verdes.com, which you can subscribe to to get emails and updates. And then, of course, listen to this episode and all the other that are are to come on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and in tune tune in at Reyes Verdes. So, yeah, that's all I have for this intro. Thank you for listening to Reyes Verdes, a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as Black, Indigenous, people of color. Thank you. (laughs)